0: Beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? How many of you are ready for Christmas? Love me some Christmas. Yeah, it is December. Can you believe it? The end is near. <laughs> Not the literal end. <laughs> the end of the year. But uh, here we are. We're in December. and uh, as we lead into Christmas every year, um, I like to lead us in a message series that really prepares our heart for Christmas. i I honestly believe that every Christmas, is a fresh opportunity to see Jesus with some fresh eyes and to have a rebirth, if you will, of his presence in our life. And so um, this year, our message series we're kicking off today is called A Weary World Rejoices. And I couldn't think of a better timing for this message series as we're living in a world that I believe is tired. In fact, uh, how many of you got out of bed this morning and thought, maybe I won't go to church. I'm feeling a little weary. I'm feeling a little tired. And there's, there's several different types of, of weariness or tiredness. Obviously, when you do physical work, you can become weary and you can become tired as you get muscle fatigue and um, even some of the, the chemicals that are released in your body from using your muscles. And, and yet we recover Rather quickly, our bodies, the way that God designed them, are, they recover rather quickly from that kind of tiredness. But I believe more than that, that we're in the middle of a world that is weary from not a physical tiredness, but really a weariness of soul. I think that the, the tiredness that we can experience sometimes on the inside that nobody else sees in our souls, and sometimes that weariness can come from years of privately wrestling with a sin or or having conflict in relationships or just the weight of some of our past just continuing to weigh on us and not feeling like we we can get some freedom from it or relief from it and we're going to take a look throughout this message series at the world that was present when Jesus was birthed into and and how there was this weariness over the world at that time that Jesus was born. And I love that scripture reminds us that there was an appointed time that Jesus was birthed into the world. In other words, it wasn't just by happenstance that all of a sudden Jesus was was birthed when he was born and took on flesh, but but actually, and maybe this is just me, but I could just see picture Jesus up in heaven seated at the right hand of God. And I could see him looking out over humanity. And I could see him looking at their weariness just like he would in the flesh, looking over Jerusalem and saying, grieving in his spirit and weeping over Jerusalem, saying, My people are like sheep without a shepherd. And I could just see him up in heaven, sitting, sitting at the right hand of God and feeling the pain, feeling the tiredness. And I could see him looking at the father and saying, Is it time yet, Dad? Is it time? I could see him just tapping his feet, just just ready, just sitting on his throne, ready at that moment when the Father would say, now is the time that he would leave his throne in heaven, and he would come and he would take on flesh, and he would bring hope to a weary world, and that world, when it would recognize the Messiah has come, the Savior of the world was born, and even on that day, as we read in Luke chapter 2, when a few people would actually recognize the fact that God was born in the flesh and that the angels would surround uh, the shepherds and they would exclaim, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all men in whom God's favor rests. And they would proclaim good news to all mankind. And so we're looking at a world that was weary but now can rejoice. And I love that word rejoice. The word rejoice actually means to return to joy. And so I believe this Christmas season, and my prayer for us as we go through each week of this series leading up to Christmas Eve, is that we would return to joy and that areas in our life where we are tired, where for many of us we've carried weariness for years, maybe you've been believing, as my wife was talking about earlier, for physical healing, maybe you've been believing from breakthrough from a private sin maybe you've been praying for reconciliation with family members and even during this Christmas this season that God would bring reconciliation and return joy to your soul And so we're going to look at today a topic that I believe that Jesus came into and he came into a weariness and he returned it to joy so if you turn with me we're going to look at the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we're going to have it up on the screen for you. And I love the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is it starts out, and if you have been around the church or maybe you haven't, you don't understand what the Gospels are. There's four Gospels. The Gospels are the account of Jesus' life. And um John's gospel is a little bit different perspective where Matthew, Luke, some of them would start out with Jesus's birth and describing and talking about the, the story of Jesus' birth. John takes a little bit different perspective. He takes a little bit of a theological perspective on the person of Jesus and how he is God in the flesh and how he existed outside of time, even before the time that he would take on flesh and be born. And so This is the context for which we're going to read our scripture this morning. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. It says this, And the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born from God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth full of grace and truth. And John testified concerning him. And he cried out saying, this is the one who I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out, listen to this, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace And truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. But he has made him known. He has made him known. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your word that reminds us of the beautiful gift of Jesus. We thank you that he didn't come with an iron fist. He didn't come holding tablets of the 10 commandments in his hand, but he came full of grace and full of truth. And he came in love. And he came to set sinners free of I who am chief. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. As we celebrate the Christmas season, we celebrate his arrival, his coming, and the hope that we have because of his coming, but more importantly, because of the life that he lived, the life that he led, and his death on the cross, fulfilling the law and forgiving us of all our sin and unrighteousness, and giving us hope that we can rejoice and be glad. So we do that today, because this is the day that you've made. And we will rejoice and we will be glad in it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, I don't know about you, but I just feel a really sweet presence of the Lord here this morning. As we lifted up his name in worship, I just really felt there was a peace. And even um, as I've been praying that during this season that we would encounter the living God more, that we would experience more of his presence. And that because we experience more of his presence, we experience more of his joy. How many of you know that as, as believers, that life isn't easy? In fact, Jesus would uh, remind his disciples in preparation for his leaving, that uh, they're going to face many troubles and problems in this world. But he said, take heart. In other words, rejoice, for I've overcome the world. And one of the things that we draw strength from in believers is this thing called joy. And joy is different than happiness. Now, we, we've bought into the, the deception, if you will, that happiness is what life's all about. In fact, in the culture that we live in and here in America, it's so easy, it's so prevalent. It's so, so right in our faces, this doctrine of happiness. But, but the Bible talks about this thing called joy. Joy is not dependent on our circumstances aligning up correctly, but joy comes from Jesus. <laughs> Joy comes from Jesus. And by the way, that our strength is found in our joy, right? Come on, it's not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. And so today, I want to talk about a clean heart. I think that one of the things that was weighing on, and each week we're going to look at the things that were making people weary when Jesus was born and 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 how what he brought with them that they they would take that weariness and it would turn to strength they would turn to joy as he actually came and he broke cultural norms and what I think um actually prevents us oftentimes from having a clean heart in fact Jesus would say that the pure in heart are the ones that see Jesus And it's my prayer that we would see Jesus with fresh eyes of faith this Christmas, that we would see his arrival with fresh eyes and fresh joy. And if we're gonna do that, we're gonna need to have a clean heart because there's nothing that distorts our perspective and our lens than the baggage that we carry from our past, past sins, the the weariness of trying to please God and other people, the weariness that comes with broken relationships between us and God and us and other people that somehow as we come into the Christmas season and as we come to the end of the year seem to get heightened. In fact, um, psychologists and sociologists are often uh, dumbfounded by the fact that Christmas time is supposed to be a time of rejoicing and celebration. And for many of us, it is. It's a wonderful time of year. Right? No pun intended, but for many of us, you could be in the middle of the celebration, yet on the inside, you could feel tired and distant and depressed and not really feel like celebrating at all. In fact, for many people, they struggle with depression through the holidays. For many people, the holidays are a reminder of hurts from the past, and the baggage from their past things that they've done and things that have been done to them. And so my hope and prayer is that we would break free from some of that and we would return to joy. But today I wanna talk to you about what I believe is one of the most prevalent things that was weighing on people and making them tired and making them weary when Jesus arrived and that's this thing called legalism. You see, there was 400 years between God speaking in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, through the prophet Malachi, to where he would speak again through the prophet John the Baptist. 400 years of silence. 400 years of not hearing the voice of God. A lot of people call it the dark ages where they didn't hear from God, And they started to wonder, does God even care about us? Does he know my pain? Does he know my struggle? Does he know my weariness? Not only had God been silent for 400 years, but during those 400 years, how many of you know that it's not good for man to be alone? (laughs) Like in more than one way. It's not good for man to be alone from God. And what I believe happened over those 400 years because God was silent, Is the religious leaders the Pharisees the Sadducees and the teachers of the law those were the the leaders the church leaders the pastors if you will the elders if you will of of the present day they started to create extra laws and commandments to try to attain and maintain their personal holiness and their personal approval and connection to God and so actually They added on to what was already, come on, I thought about this, some tough laws to keep, right? I mean, I'm doing good if I could just keep the Ten Commandments. Ten. But not only ten, and not only from the Torah were the other commandments that God would would give to the Israelites, God's people. But then the leaders, religious leaders of the day added 610 more commandments and rules on top of the rules given through Moses and given through the law of Moses now 610 that makes me exhausted just thinking about it right and that's exactly what happened now these religious leaders felt good about themselves because they they kept to the letter of the law yet Jesus when he would show up He would constantly chastise them, constantly rebuke them, because he would tell them a couple of things. And one of the things that he would tell them is that you put heavy burdens on the people. That actually, as religious, as the religious leaders, you're supposed to show people what God looks like. But you've forgotten what God looks like yourselves, and you've taken my rules and commandments. By the way, little asterisk, look down at the bottom. Are not just for me to benefit from because I want to ruin the party (laughs) like that's what I used to think when I was 20 years old before I surrendered my life to Jesus you know kind of like those shirts in Vegas uh, when you get married like game over you ever see those you know (laughs) they say game over and and I like that because it kind of insinuates like party's over like you're ball and chain now like you know you can't have any fun and that's what I used to think about Christianity in fact This is one of the the things that I believe that the enemy puts on young people and deceives young people saying, well, I'll follow God when I get older. I'll sow my wild oats now, get it all out of my system, and then when I get older, I'll follow God. But we never know what life can bring. And we have this moment and we are guaranteed more than that. And so Jesus shows up in this middle of this legalist culture to where the, the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law had put these heavy burdens on the people. And so you have these two different groups of people. And actually the way that, that the, the leaders, the religious leaders of the day saw their relationship to God was, was each law that they followed, every day that they, they didn't sin, was like another ring on their ladder. And that there was this, they created this religious system that that became cold and hard and separated the good people from the bad people and the people that were underneath them and what it did is it is it made the average ordinary people that were just trying to get up every morning I believe a lot like us today just trying to get up and follow God they made them feel less than that they're not enough and they'll never be enough because they're not like them, the religious leaders. And so what happened is you had these two sects of people or groups, if you will, that God called his children, mind you. Over here, you have the religious leaders of the day who got into this thing called legalism. And then over here on this side, you had the rest of the people that started to believe that God was mad at them. He's disappointed in them. He's silent. He's distant. And they're living in this dark time and, and that there's no way that it's actually impossible for them to please God and to be accepted by him. So they just live life every day like a lot of people do today. Drink, eat, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? Like, what's the point? I'm trying to please God. I'm working hard to please God. But it seems like every time I try, every time I try to come to church, I join that small group. I try to read my Bible, right? We're coming into the new year where a lot of us, this is going to be a time of renewal. We're going into... Um, in January we always start out the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting and we we pray for breakthrough in certain areas but how many of us uh, it's like cycles every year it's like man the same things come up and up and up and I'm never going to be changed I'm never going to be different and we could come under the weariness in our soul waiting down on us of condemnation guilt and shame that somehow I've got to do more to be accepted by God for him to please me But I want us to understand this thing called legalism because I think one of the dangers in modern day church and actually one of my fears as a pastor is that we would slip into this thing called legalism without even recognizing it. And like the Pharisees of the day, we would become blind guides. That we wouldn't even recognize it in ourselves. And we would become like these Pharisees that Jesus would rebuke saying, you clean the outside of the cup in other words you come to church all cleaned up and your Sunday best and you sing the songs and, and and it's become religion an external thing to where we sing the songs we know when to say amen we know when to raise our hands we know when to do all the stuff but on the inside we're tired because we don't know what to do with the sins that we struggle with we want to be loved by God and we want to We want to be accepted by the church and people. But if we're not careful, we could actually reject and put up walls between us and the people that need Jesus the most. That's exactly what the religious leaders were doing. Jesus would rebuke them time and time again. You're actually making it harder for people to enter into the kingdom. Why? Because you're not representing me well. You're giving them the letter of the law without the heart of the law. See, God never gave us the law to institute a a cold religion that's based on rules, but for us to recognize our desperate need for a savior. So what is legalism? Well, I'll classify it like this. Legalism is by doing good works or by observing the law, a person earns and merits salvation. I'm going to read that again. Legalism is by doing good works or by obeying the law, a person earns and merits salvation. And now right away, you might be like, well, Pastor Lance, that's not me. Let's get on with this message because that, it's, not, it's just not applicable to me. But I believe that legalism, just like Jesus would talk about the Pharisees, he, said, he says, beware, he would tell his disciples, beware of the Pharisees. He, he actually would say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees because he would he would he would rebuke them saying you clean the outside of the cup but on the inside you're dirty like there's there's stuff that needs cleansing in your heart because you got the letter of the law but you forgot God's heart behind the letter you forgot what it's all about and Jesus shows up on the scene to show us the heart of God and to remind us what God really looks like and so he would show up and he would break cultural norms he would actually in their eyes not not according to god's but he would break their religious laws he would step over racial boundaries he he would he would pull in women into his ministry that that the the leaders of the day would put down and under them that he was constantly uh in fact he would get accused by them of being a friend of sinners And and the people that when they came uh, were walking down the road, they'd go to the other side of the road. Jesus went to the other side of them. While they were writing people off, Jesus was writing them in. And this is the Jesus that we're celebrating this Christmas. And he shows up and he completely wrecks their idea of what religion is all about. That it's not about religion. It's not about following rules. But I've come to restore your relationship to the heart of God. I came to restore you as a child of God. I came to adopt you as sons and daughters and bring you into the family of God. And maybe you're here today and you feel like one of those outcasts, like you, do, you almost didn't even come to church today because you just feel like, man, I'm, I'm not worthy. I, I'm too dirty, like this isn't for me. And I would say Jesus being one of the greeters at the front door saying, come on in, I'll sit with you. That's the kind of church that I, I believe and I pray that Hope Church is. In fact, I was reminded, um, my wife and I we were at this little pastor's conference and uh, the director of hospitality, he was sharing this testimony about how this, this lady, um, she thought about going to church for like three weeks and each week she'd get up and she'd just feel so much guilt and shame and like she didn't belong and she, she just couldn't get herself to get in the car and go to church. Well, finally one day she built up enough courage to actually get in the car and drive to church and she pulls into the parking lot. And um, it's funny, you know, part of legalism is judgmentalism. Like, and, and it's funny how we can become so critical and judgmental in the church. Not, sometimes the worst is inside the church and we could be bad outside the church but it's funny how sometimes we think, oh, you know, a greeter and somebody holding up a sign, that's so cheesy, do we really need that? Come on, we just want the spirit of God. God. God doesn't work through stuff like that, he can't use that. And she pulls into the parking lot and she just can't get herself to open the door and get out. And she has her head down and she just is flooded, bombarded with all these thoughts, lies of the enemy, just telling her, reminding her of her sin, reminding her of her past, reminding her that she's not worthy to go into those doors and reminding her that she doesn't belong. And immediately after she hears that deceptive lie of the enemy, you don't belong, she picks her head up and looks out of her windshield and she sees a greeter with the sign that says, you belong here. And she starts to cry and it gives her just enough courage to open the door and to go into church. That day she surrendered her life to Jesus. And her life is never the same. But God help us if we become like the Pharisees and prevent people from encountering What we've encountered, experienced what we've experienced. And we could write off the fact that, hey, I'm not a legalist, but I believe it's not just something you are. It's actually an attitude of the heart that defiles our heart, that hardens our heart. In fact, I love what John Piper says. He says this Legalism is an attitude, it's a spirit. It's a disposition of all kinds of behaviors and feelings that are rooted in a failure to be amazed that I am saved by grace. Come on, that is so good. So in other words, you, you, you come to church, but it's more out of duty than delight. You start coming to church or you start serving or go to, and, and you do it because that's what you do. We're Christians, but you lose the heart behind and the passion behind why you're doing it. And when we break free of legalism, we get back to the place, like even in worship this morning, I had a couple of moments where I'm just, I'm sobbing and, and just, cause I'm just so grateful. Not because I'm a pastor and not because I've achieved anything in my life, but just the fact that God found me and saved me and pulled me out of a pit of sin and darkness and depression and healed me of my sickness and disease. And I'm so grateful, and I never want to lose that wonder. I never want to lose that amazement. That's what Christmas is all about, restoring the wonder, restoring the joy of our salvation. In fact, that was a word as I was praying that the Holy Spirit dropped in me, that for some of us, this is going to be a restoration of the joy of our salvation. He goes on to say this, a failure to be amazed that I am accepted by God freely to be melted, broken, humbled, and filled with joy because of what God has done. Come on. So we gotta be careful, church, because there's a weary world that is looking for a real reason to celebrate. Not just buy some presents and not just, you know, have some turkey and, and go through the motions of celebrating and not really even understanding why we celebrate the season and why we do what we do. But this pharisaical attitude, if we're not careful, can creep into us. And just like that leaven, just like this thing in the Bible called leprosy, that it would start out just a little bit, little bit of criticalness, little bit of judgmentalism, little bit of spiritual pride, and now a little bit of self-righteousness. And now it starts to creep in to our hearts and our soul, and it starts to muddy the pure water of the living water of God flowing in us and through us to other people. So here's what I would describe as some pharisaical attitudes that we need to be careful of. Number one is a pharisaical attitude includes being judgmental, hypocritical, self-righteous prideful and I would say hypercritical all of which leads to a hardened heart see this is subtle it happens little by little and we don't even recognize it but what happens is our hearts get a little bit more hardened till we lose our compassion we lose our empathy for the people around us because we're good I'm going to heaven praise God I'm a child of God, I've been set free, me and my family are good, but I lose sight of why Jesus really came. Look at this, this is kind of scary. There's a Barna survey, Barna is a Christian research company It said this, survey revealed that 51% of the North American Christians polled all possess attitudes and actions that are more like the Pharisees than they are like Christ. Ouch. More than half of us We're blind to the fact that we actually possess more pharisaical attitudes than we do the attitude of Christ. Paul would remind us, don't just think of your own interests. Come on, this Christmas season. Come on, what if we allowed the Spirit of God to cleanse us from our pharisaical attitudes? And what if we allowed him to give us a new heart and a new spirit? And that gave us eyes because our hearts are getting clean that we have eyes to see God and what he's doing around us and the people that he wants to do Him in. And we get our eyes off ourselves and fix them on Jesus. See, we lose sight because we missed what the purpose of the law is. See, the purpose of the law wasn't just to make us feel bad, guilty, to give us a bunch of rules. Actually, this is the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to help us to recognize our sin. Yet, here's the problem. It's powerless to help us obey the law. So we know what we should do. Come on, Paul preached to us, Romans seven. Oh, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do. Oh, who can save me from this death inside of me, this sin inside of me? Thanks be to God for the person of Jesus Christ. You see, we have to understand that the law was to point out our sin and point out that we are powerless to change ourselves. We're powerless to fulfill it, which leads us to the whole point, which is to realize I need a savior. And it's not me. We need a savior. So Jesus shows up, savior of the world. And there's this other group of people that have been the victims of putting on the burdens of the law and they've been beaten down and they're operating under this condemnation now there's conviction you have to understand this spiritually speaking conviction comes from the holy spirit that's when god is working in your heart and he's putting his finger on something in you because he wants to cleanse you of something he wants to sanctify you sanctification is a theological term for progressively how we become more like jesus In other words, how we become holy. And and the the religious leaders of the day wrongly assume that the way they became holy is doing more. The Bible calls it works of the flesh. So it is, I'm going (laughs) to, I like Joyce Meyer, she says, that's works that don't work. And and we all know it because we try to change ourselves. And this is why in January we're going to have a list of uh, New Year's resolutions. And by mid-February, They're gonna be out the window, right? That gym membership, you're gonna keep paying on. It's on auto renewal because you got a discount, but you're not showing up to the gym. And this is why year after year, and we have to learn that we're never gonna be able to change ourselves. That Jesus shows up with great joy. The angels would say, I have good news to tell you, and this is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And Jesus showed up, and the angels, let let the world re know it's time to rejoice. I've got good news for you. Yes. A savior, the Messiah, Amen. is born in Jerusalem, Amen. and because he was born, he can be birthed in you, yes. and he could bring you new life and he could bring you new hope, and he could return you from desperation to joy." So good. So good. And Jesus came in John 1:17, it says, "For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Jesus never compromised the truth. He never compromised the truth, but he led with grace. You know, the Pharisees were harsh people. They, they always separated themselves from common people, from sinners. They were always like trying to keep themselves clean by not associating with people that were unclean. And, and yet Jesus came, and you know the harshest thing that Jesus ever said to a sinner? go and sin no more. That's the harshest thing he ever said. But he never compromised the truth, but he always led with grace. See, he connected with their hearts before he corrected them. And and we have to learn something, and I believe that we can get the heart of Jesus this morning, not just for people, but for us. And so what I want to do in the remaining time is I want us to look at this story in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 44. I want to read it to you. And then we're going to look at a, a depiction, an artist rendering of this in the movie Cho- or the series, The Chosen. How many of you seen The Chosen? Yeah. I love The Chosen. Now, don't send me a letter. I know it's not completely scripturally accurate because they, they take some artist, you know, artistic liberty to, you know, add on to the story a little bit and to make it come to life. So I understand that, but I think that one of the things that I love about The Chosen is I think it depicts Jesus in, in closer to the way that he really was, closer to his heart. So listen to this story and then we're gonna watch this clip from The Chosen. It's Mark 1, verse 40. It's the story of this man who had leprosy. Now, if you understand back in, in the time that Jesus, if you had leprosy, leprosy was a skin disease and it started out as just like a little mark on your skin, but quickly, it, it, it would spread. And, and like any disease, it would bring deformity. And the worst thing though, I think isn't what they experienced from people looking at them on the outside, but is what they experienced in their soul. The weariness of carrying that disease meant legally that the religious leaders that you got cast out of where you lived, like you were deemed unclean. And because you were unclean, you had to live outside the city. Many times, like, you would have to live in the wilderness like an animal in a shelter. They, no one was allowed to touch you. Could you imagine? Like, studies have shown, even when a baby's in the mother's womb, the power of human touch and what that could do. And, and people were ostracized. They were, if, if you were coming down the street, everybody would scream and run to the other side of the road and sometimes even threaten you to get out of here. This is is what leprosy did. Actually, in the Bible, leprosy is a type and shadow of what sin is in us. It makes us unclean. So here's the story. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus. In fact, one of the other gospels would say he wouldn't even lift up his head with his head down, begging to be healed. And he says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And it says this, I love this. Moved with compassion. If there's anything that marked Jesus coming, it's that he was moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with this stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. See, grace... He healed him. But the truth, go follow the law and go to the priest and let him examine you. Let him deem that you're clean. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy, and this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Watch this. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> The leper! Stay back! Cover your mouth! Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer! It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi! Rabbi! Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi you you, you cannot. this disease! You ca- Please... Please... Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. thank you <laughs> I, I knew it I knew it I knew it what can I what can I ever do you know, do not say anything to anyone you don't seek your own honor please just tell me this one thing but, but what do I tell people Go, show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Where's an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. It's definitely your color. (laughs) Not too shabby. (laughs) Hey, it's Dallas. Come on, that gets me every time. Come on, can we give just Jesus praise? Not the chosen Jesus. But just like that that leper I don't know about you but the sin in my life was like a disease and I'm so grateful that Jesus came to break off that stigma of shame and guilt and condemnation I believe that for the other people outside of the religious leaders for a lot of us just like this this leper that came to Jesus that for many of us you know that one of the one of the attributes of of pharisaical living that Jesus would speak into is he would call them you hypocrites. And the reason that he would call them that, actually the Greek word, the connotation is like an actor on stage. In other words, that they would appear to be one thing, but on the inside be something else. And for most of us, we don't have a outward skin disease that would show what we're dealing with on the inside. But for a lot of us, we carry, I honestly believe that for a lot of us, we carry one, two, or three past sins, or hurt, or struggles that define us. And just like the religious leaders of the day, how they would cancel out leprosy, and we're living in a day and age of cancel culture, that for a lot of us, we feel like we've been canceled out by God because of the sin in our life, that somehow we don't measure up, that we can't be approved, that we can't be accepted, and because of it, we can't be loved. In fact, the, the word stigma, I wanna to read to you a definition. Just like this man who had leprosy, he, he had a stigma, that he was unclean, and he had to deal with that. But a stigma is a mark of disgrace that is connected to the events of someone's past. The origin of the word comes from a brand or a tattoo, something that is permanent and connected with disgrace and unworthiness. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever read Nathaniel Hawthorne's book, The Scarlet Letter, that he wrote in 1850. But in that book, the main character, um, her name was something Prynne, <laughs> but she, um, She was caught in the act of adultery, and because of that, she was forced to, anytime she went out in public, she would actually wear what they called the scarlet letter. She had to wear around and pin to her a letter A, and that let everybody know, in the town that she lived, that she was an adulteress. And even though we don't walk around with scarlet letters on us on the outside, I believe for a lot of us, we're carrying around labels, we're carrying around stigmas that the enemy has allowed to put, we've allowed to put on us on the inside. And for a lot of us, those, those stigmas, those labels are wearing us down and we believe have canceled out God's love for us, his acceptance of us and his approval of us until Jesus comes along. And just like the woman caught in adultery in the Bible, Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks around and none of them are there. And Jesus says, no longer do I accuse you. And I believe in that moment, Jesus put a new label on her. He put the letter F for forgiven and free. But I believe too many of us are walking around with labels A for addicted, right? A for abused or abuser, D for divorce. S for sinner D for deadbeat dad you name it I don't know what your letter is maybe for a lot of us it's LGBTQ it's more than one letter but whatever the letter is we have this problem of labeling people and in the process discounting them from the grace of God and we have this problem where we discount God's grace to us you see Jesus didn't just come to set us free. He came to give us new life. And the way that he came to give us new life is Matthew would say it in Matthew 5, 17. He said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He said, I have come to ab- not to abolish them, but to what? To fulfill them. So here's Grace. Jesus says, I'm going to do what you couldn't do. I'm going to live a perfect sinful life. Mind you, I'll be tempted in every way like you are, yet without sin. And then I will willingly offer my life on a cross, my body to be broken, my, to be bled out so that you can have forgiveness of sins and I can restore you to re- right relationship and extend grace to you as a son or as a daughter. See, we have to understand something this morning. And maybe you're here. And some of you have walking around with those labels and you walk around like you're happy on the outside, but on the inside, there's condemnation, there's guilt, there's shame. Today, as we close our service taking communion, I believe it's a fresh opportunity to receive grace upon the grace already given. Jesus isn't disappointed in you. He's not done with you. He loves you. He accepts you as you are and gives you His grace, not so that you have to follow Him, so that it changes our heart so that we want to. I don't have to obey the law. I want to now because God has touched my heart and He's changed my life and He's given me grace in place of grace already given see grace is a free gift it's unmerited there's nothing that you or I could ever deserve to receive it but we do receive it how through faith they asked Jesus what are the works of God that we must do and Jesus said you know what the work of God that you must do believe on the one whom he sent we receive it through faith by grace through faith and this is nothing that you could do to deserve it or earn it but God freely gives it to all people so as we're about to take communion one of the things that Jesus would proclaim that he was ushering in the night before he was betrayed when he took the cup and he said this is my body which is broken for you he said this is my my blood is gonna be shed for you which represents the wine but when he picked up the cup he said this is the cup of the new covenant. It's the new deal between you and God. No longer is it based on what you've done. It's based on what I'm going to do and what I'm gonna do for you. And that you were powerless to do, I'm gonna do it for you. And I'm gonna do this. And this is the promise in Ezekiel chapter 36 of what would get prophesied that would get ushered in into this new covenant. Listen to this. And I, this is a promise from God, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and i will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit in you and listen to this and i will move you because of that new spirit and that new heart to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws it's the new covenant so now i want us to just take a moment and do this do what first john talks about when it says that if we're willing to confess our sins, to freely admit that we have sinned and that we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promise. And he'll forgive us and do what? He'll cleanse us one time. He'll cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, from all our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity to his will and purpose for our life. That's some good news, isn't it? So I want you to just close your eyes in this moment. Maybe as I've been talking about a clean heart this morning, you recognize that there's some pharisaical attitudes in you. Or maybe you're on the other side of that. Maybe you've been dealing with condemnation, shame, guilt, and walking around with those stigmas, those labels from your past from the things that people have done to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. This is the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I don't think it's happenstance that you're here this morning to hear this message. I don't believe it's by chance you're watching online. I believe you had a divine appointment at just the right time while we were still sinners. God so loved us that he sent his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. My friend, you can make that decision right now and say this prayer, simple. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I wanna be saved by your grace. Will you forgive me? Will you wash me clean? Today, I repent of my way of living and surrender my life to you. Will you come in and put your spirit in me and renew a right heart in me, in Jesus' name. The Bible says that taking communion is for believers. So if you just prayed that prayer, welcome to the family. For the rest of us, let's just take a moment of the presence of God and just check our hearts there's anything there that we need to confess to God or to someone else. Let's do that and let's come and take the elements when you're ready. Take them back to your seat. The worship team's going to lead us in this final song. And as you're taking the elements, let God sprinkle your heart and cleanse you in Jesus' name.